This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Jada, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across new and pre-owned petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid and electric Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie Don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever been as deflated as last evening and those last few moments of the match between Ireland and Portugal. Oh, my heart broke, I have to say. And there have been disappointments over the years, haven't there? Oh, indeed there have. But last night, they gave it their all and they were outdone by Ronaldo in the end. Oh, the disappointment all round. I was watching it in company and I think everybody was just like a balloon being punctured at the end of the match. I'm sure many people listening today felt the same. They gave it everything, didn't they? And, well, what do you say about it? Anyway... We're going to talk about it for the next while because everybody's talking about it today. Yes, they are. And just before coming on air, before he boarded a flight back from Portugal to Dublin, I caught up with Paul Lennon, soccer correspondent with the Irish Daily Star, who was reporting from the match last evening. And I put it to Paul that we certainly deserved something from the game. At least a point, And you could make a case for three points given the way Ireland defended and at times did break on the counter and did pose a threat in attack. Not too often, but at times they did. Uh, Aaron Connolly had a very good ch- chance to make it 2-0 uh, when, he, when he connected with a, a downward header by Matt Doherty. So I felt the way Portugal were playing from about the 75th, 80th minute, I sensed the might get an equaliser. But when it went to no- the 90th minute, I said, oh, we might hold out here. Now, we knew there was going to be a, a decent spell of injury time because there were stoppages. Ronaldo got a great header. People say the second goal was brilliant. It was. But his first was really good also because there wasn't much space to get it down. Uh, Bazuna was at his near post, but he managed to squeeze the header in between post and keeper. And then I felt they would get at least one or more opportunities. They were tiring. They were beginning to play through us for the first time all night. And, of course, the the wrong man was in the right place. And, uh, you know, that's what he does. Because he wasn't particularly brilliant last night. His pace... Is gone. It's tricky on the ball. Isn't what it used to be, and we defended well. So it really was heartbreaking, and it's uh, it's sickener for, for for Stephen Kenny and the team because this was by far the best performance since he took over, and probably the best performance away, a uh, performance full stop since the one nil away win in Austria uh, five years ago. 
And Paul, the man in the middle, let's talk about him for a moment. Uh, five minutes added at the end of the first half, he went to seven. The five minutes were up at the end of the game itself and he played on, which enabled Ronaldo to get that second goal. What about his performance overall and those vital added minutes? Well, um, the laws of the game say uh, the five minutes, it's a minimum of five minutes. So I felt that he, he could have played more minutes at the end of the first half because I, I timed it as seven minutes between when the uh, incident took place, uh, the penalty, and it was taken. Five minutes is normal enough at the end of the of, of the game. I wouldn't make too much of that. I thought for the incident involving O'Shea and Ronaldo, uh, the penalty incident, he should have booked the two of them. Because you're not, if you kick the ball away, you should be booked, which O'Shea did. And then Ronaldo was petulant and put through his, 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 uh, his, his hand out. So he should have uh, been booked also. It took the referee five minutes not to arrive at that decision, which I found bizarre. Uh, and then later on, O'Shea was right, rightly uh, booked for his, his challenge on uh, Jota. So I would make a big thing. The, the Kenny was going on about afterwards about, about the, uh, the the referee uh, putting on added minutes. I don't think it's, it's a big deal. You have to defend how long the game goes on for. What about the uh, incident you mentioned ago, a moment ago with Connolly? Could we have had a penalty? He was narrowly wide with the effort, but he seemed to be fouled. I thought myself the, the contact was just after he, he uh, made contact with the ball. Um, and the earlier as well, he went to ground very uh, lock, uh, too, too quickly in an earlier incident. And I thought the referee, the way he looked at him was as if, I know you have a reputation for uh, going to, to ground very early, don't do it again. So he's not going to get the 50-50 because of his reputation. And he's got to learn that, uh, Connolly. Sometimes he's, his discipline isn't what it should be. He's frustrating to watch as well because he doesn't lift his head. A couple of occasions he had players to the side of him that he could have passed the ball to. There was once he broke to halfway, there was an Irish player racing through. He didn't give it either. That's really annoying, I'm sure, for Stephen Kenny. It would be because it, it, there, was, there was one particular incident in the first time. Remember when he got to the, uh, in the inside left channel and he put uh, Pepe under real pressure. And Pepe was scared of, a, scared of his pace. And he, he, he's quite skillful on the ball. But I agree with you. He, he probably shouldn't have. But in fairness, he, he, he did uh, force the save and the corner that led to the, to the Ireland goal. So he, 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 he was incisive with, with that particular move. But overall, he needs to get in and play regular football. Um, he's not going to get that at Brighton. He hasn't moved on loan. So he's always going to be on the bench at Brighton, in my view. So I would think he needs to go on loan in January, get four or five months of regular football in the Championship, uh, and get over his injuries. That's another problem. He's perpetually injured, which is uh, you see, to be very sorry for him. So he needs regular football and start scoring goals and working his game. Wasn't the keeper outstanding for 19 years of age? And you have to mention the defence as well. Duffy is back. He really is back with a bang and the rest yeah. of them. There were a lot of positives in this performance, Paul, but no points. Well, that's, that's the, 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 you know, the, at the end of the day, that's what, what, what the, we've three games played and no points. I thought uh, Bazuno made a few good saves, but uh, I would, he gave a, it was his error that led to the penalty. And he, uh, there was a shot from Chana went through his legs as well. I would still have Randolph in goal because he's more experienced. Uh, I think Bazuno is a fine young keeper who will be excellent over in the coming years, as will Queeve Kelleher. I, I would think Kelleher is a, a superior goalkeeper as well. I'm not convinced, but that Bazuno should be in goal at the moment, but the, the back five were excellent. 
And for once, Kenny picked the right formation with the right players. And if you got Shane Duffy back at the top of his game, I thought Doherty probably had his best game for Ireland uh, today. And Coleman, again, is, is, is just the ultimate professional. But Kenny dropped Coleman to start in, in last September. He dropped Duffy. Now, so he's made strange decisions since he took over. He's now making more reliable decisions, uh, more obvious decisions, and you can see that the performances are improving. Now, we have no points, and effectively this World Cup qualification campaign is over. We have Azerbaijan next at home on the 4th, uh, very soon. A uh, quick turnaround in games, and then Serbia on the 7th. These games coming up over the next few days. We will be looking for Ireland to put points on the board now, for sure. But have to be in Azerbaijan. We've now gone 14 competitive games uh, without a win. Uh, that's equals a record going back um, 49 years. So we have to beat Azerbaijan uh, on Saturday in, in the Aviva. Um, I, th- I think they will. I think that even though the, the players would have felt really low after the, the outcome last night, but I think they've done enough. There's a, there's, a, there's a shape to the team. There's a strategy to the team that now works. So I think they will win on Saturday. Can they beat Serbia on Tuesday? That'll be a lot tougher. Uh, in, in saying that, I think the Serbs will have to come out and play us to some degree because they'll want to keep tabs with, with the Portuguese at the top of the group. And Portugal have already drawn in Serbia. So, um, you know, they're a bit behind in terms of the group table. And overall, you know, Stephen Kenny, as you say, picking the right team, making sound decisions now. It, last night was very encouraging. He's going to certainly get this campaign. What beyond this? Do you see him getting, you know, the next European Championship or is that dependent on how we perform now in the forthcoming games in this World Cup uh, series? Oh, it's still, the jury's still out um, because of what's happened up until before last night when there were, there were poor decisions, uh, poor performances. Um, you know, the, the previous competitive game was a 1-0 home defeat to Luxembourg. The team has got to build on what happened last night. The players are saying that afterwards, as was Kenny, beat Azerbaijan. That won't be easy. I mean, Azerbaijan will play a fairly, you know, a, a good passing, tactically sound game, but we should beat them. Now, if they could beat Serbia on Tuesday, that would be a statement by the players and by the manager. And that would give him, a, I think that would give him a, a very good chance of staying on. I think we, we won't know uh, finally until November. The last game is... Um, Portugal coming to uh, coming to the Viva, and uh, you know, there's just still a lot of stuff. We have to go to Azerbaijan uh, next month. That that won't be easy, and also go to Luxembourg. We beat us in Dublin, remember? So there's a lot of football left in in this group. And just finally, Paul, yeah, the experience says there's a few of them still there and some sprung from the bench last night, but it certainly is a turnover now. We're seeing a new generation of Irish footballer emerge. Yes, uh, and um, I think it's only right that you should mention Jamie McGrath, the first uh, mead man to be capped at senior international level. And uh, a nervous opening, but he grew into the game. Uh, he's had an outstanding season at, um, at St. Mirren last season and prior to that, of course, at St. Pat's and Dundalk. So he's a good young player. Uh, his delivery for, the, for John Egan's goal was excellent. And the longer the game went on, the more comfortable he looked. He's one for the future. I still think that he won't be an automatic in the team, but
but he's very much in, in, in Kenny's thinking of the first sorry, 18, 20 players. Paul, thank you so much. I know you're uh, waiting to board your flight there. Safe journey home and thanks a million as usual for joining us on the show. You're welcome. Paul Lennon there speaking to me uh, a little while ago just before he boarded the flight from Faro back to Dublin in the busy airport concourse there. Anyway, have you any thoughts on last evening about the match? What did you feel about the Irish performance? Who was the star performer? Stephen Kenny's position going forward. It's been a difficult start to his Irish career and still we have no points in the group. There's messages coming to me already. The numbers, remember the usual numbers to get in touch. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. Uh, Ronaldo should have been sent off, Jerry, says a listener there. And there's another one. Jerry, I can't believe how Ronaldo stayed on the field for raising his hand. Look, he did. O'Shea kicked the ball away. It was unsporting, as Paul said there, of O'Shea to kick the ball off the penalty spot. He should have been booked. And Ronaldo, he didn't hit O'Shea in the face. He pushed him towards the shoulder. He did raise his hands. I'm not so sure about him being sent off, to be honest with you. It probably would be a little bit harsh. But he certainly should have got a yellow card. That is for sure. He should have got a yellow card. But crestfallen, I think, is the word that crosses my mind. That's the way I felt, honestly, last night with the... uh, the performance and the result at the end of the day but it just shows you you've got to keep going till the end uh, a second counts it really does and we were shown that last night and the class of Ronaldo he didn't have a particularly good game overall yet he was there to pop up for the equaliser and the winner but it's not the first time no 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 heartbreak for Ireland are you joking me I can go back to the World Cup qualification campaign 1982 and that's not today or yesterday back I go to the 25th of March 1981 I remember it well Ireland were in Belgium it was a key game that was a great Irish side own hand managed that team they should have got to the 82 World Cup finals but we were done yes we were done on that day in March against Belgium it was the 88th minute of the game I don't know whether people remember it but a fellow called Eric Gerritz he was a, a Belgian international what a dive. He won a free outside the box. The free was taken, rattled the crossbar and there was a melee in the Irish box. And Kuhlman scored for Belgium and really that sealed our faith. We didn't qualify. We just missed out in 82. That team should have been the first team to ever qualify. It would have been the first ever from this country for a World Cup finals. And then... What about Hurry Henry himself? Yes, Thierry. On the 18th of November 2009, the handball. Not once, but twice. And I bet France score. Uh, that match, the story of that, France had won 1-0 in Dublin the previous Saturday. The return leg was in France. We led 1-0 in the game, and justifiably and deservedly, until Henri intervened and cheated. Absolutely cheated. And we were eliminated from that competition as well. So heartbreak has been there. It has indeed for us over the years. And last night, well, it'll be remembered for a while too. But look, there is a new generation emerging. That is for sure. And again, I congratulate Jamie McGrath from Meath. Bernard O'Byrne mentioned him yesterday uh, that he would be playing, uh, that he probably would be playing, and he did. And uh, um, the first Meath man to be uh, internationally capped at senior level. Well done to him. And he played well in the game indeed. Uh, I think they played well overall defensively, the goalkeeper. Um, but uh, I have to say, Connolly, Aaron Connolly, he'd frustrate you. He'd frustrate you, that young fella. Head down, unaware of what's happening around them, had great chances to set up other Irish players for what would have been certain goals 
and he didn't. That's why he's not playing with Brighton. That's why he's on the bench. And unless he improves that aspect of his game, I'm afraid he won't achieve his full potential. Anyway, that's uh, last night's game. We look forward now to Azerbaijan at the weekend and the big one, Serbia, early next week on the Tuesday. If we could win that, it'd be fantastic altogether. Anyway, well done last night. Disappointment, but proud of the boys in green. Ronaldo, one of the greatest players in the world, but has lost a bit of pace, did nothing in the game, missed a penalty, scored two goals, didn't want to come over the halfway line, work rate rubbish, says a listener today to me. Well, you know something, form's temporary class is permanent. He popped up for the two goals, didn't he? And he won the game for Portugal. Joseph's been on to say... The ref should be sacked. He was crap. I think the referee was poor. He was weak from the outset. He just didn't strike you as someone who was really in charge of the game like a top official in Europe. I think Slovenian, was he? Anyway, he was poor. I agree with you, Joseph. He wasn't good. Mina Curran. Oh, bold Mina today sent me in an image of Colin Meany, the Irish actor with a T-shirt. And it's not too complimentary to Mr. Ronaldo, to be honest with you. <laughs> Thanks indeed, Mina, for sending me that one this afternoon. Keep them coming. Oh, it's 1800 658 WhatsApp or text me to the show 1850 715 958 if you'd like to call in. Coming up on Late Lunch after two, he's one of our favourite wildlife people and he's a man who knows all about our feathered friends. Yes, Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland is uh, joining us today and he's talking all about Irish falcons. Oh, it's marvellous the amount of birds in the falcon genre that we have and Niall's going to talk about them to us. I like the way Jerry Stephen Kenny is moulding this team, his style of play and the young players coming through. I really do hope the FAI give him plenty of time with the team. That comes in today from John this afternoon. Thanks indeed for your messages to the show. I'm still smarting after that defeat, I have to be honest with you, last evening. Now we move on on late lunch and he's a very good friend of ours on the show and he joins us again today to talk about Ireland's Falcons. I'm delighted to say hello again to Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland. Hello Niall. Hello, thanks a million for having me back. Not at all, we have you back anytime. Uh, well, look, I want to ask you this to start off. Uh, the difference between falcons and hawks. Yes, very interesting. I know a lot of people really like birds of prey. There's something very uh, beautiful about them. And hawks and falcons are both different families of birds of prey. It used to be thought that they were very closely related to each other. But obviously, with recent advances in genetics and DNA testing and so on, we've actually worked out that they're completely unrelated. And so the fact is that they have evolved a very similar body shape and very similar similar hunting methods because they feed on the same kind of prey and, and face the same kind of evolutionary pressures. But those two things evolve completely independently. So to describe a, a falcon, I suppose, to you, uh, compared to a hawk, there's quite a bit of an overlap, really. Falcons generally have quite pointed wingtips. They tend to be built for speed, whereas hawks generally are more adept at, at soaring or a quick pursuit, uh, maybe between trees in the case of a sparrow hawk, or soaring high in the sky, like looking for rabbits, maybe like a buzzard, which is a member of the hawk family. So they tend to have broader wingtips with, with more sort of fingered feathers at the end to give them a bit of extra lift. 
So that's one difference. Um, both of them have uh, have excellent eyesight and very large eyes as a result of that to allow them to see prey. Both of them have uh, very, very sharp claws or talons, as we call them, for grabbing and for sometimes killing their, their prey. And they both have hooked beaks as well that are the perfect tool for tearing meat. However, hawks generally would kill their prey using their feet. But those sharp uh, claws that they have, they would pierce through the, the, the body of their, their prey and, and that's how they would tend to kill them. Whereas what falcons have on their beak, they have a little knot. It almost looks like a little, almost like a little tooth on each side with a little indentation down below that on the lower part of the beak. And gruesome as it may sound, they use that beak to kill their prey, and normally by, by severing the spinal column as it happens, rather than with their feet. So that's, there's a bit of a difference in the way that they hunt. Um, but to, to, to the layperson, both groups look very, very similar indeed, it has to be said. Mm, now we're going to stick with uh, falcons today. Uh, the most common is what? Which of them, uh, Niall? So of, of the three species of falcon that breed in Ireland, and there's another four that occur here rarely, very occasionally, but the commonest would certainly be the kestrel. So that is the, the sort of relatively small bird of prey, maybe about the size of a jackdaw, that uh, would often be seen hovering along the side of roads, especially on motorways, along grass verges, about beside roads or perhaps over fields. And it's still a relatively common species, although in, uh, in recent years we have seen a notable decline. The population really has been uh, declining quite severely. Uh, one of the reasons it seems to be is because of the effect of rat poisons mm. on them because the kestrel feeds on small rodents. They love to eat rats and mice. So a real farmer's friend, a great bird to have around the area. Uh, but of course, by eating those, if, if the, the prey has become contaminated by rat poisons, by rodenticides, that can pass into the food chain. And that seems to be killing quite a lot of our kestrels. So although it remains a common and widespread bird, you can see it all across Ireland, the numbers are nowhere near as healthy as they were uh, 10 or 20 years ago. They really have declined. But that's the bird anyway that you would see hovering, staying still in one spot in the sky um, along the side of the road. Yes. The male is bloody rufous back, blue kind of head. The female is browner. And as is the case with, with virtually all birds of prey, including all of our falcons, the female is usually substantially bigger than the male. Uh, so uh, th th that's something people often don't expect. But with most birds of prey, the female is the larger of the two. Mm. So you mentioned three in particular. The kestrel is the first. The other two? So the other two breeding species we have in Ireland, breeding species of falcon, we have the merlin, which is a small falcon. It's our smallest bird of prey. And it tends to live in upland and in, in bogland areas. Uh, comes towards coastal areas, particularly in the winter, when we get an influx of them in from, from Iceland, of all places. And it's sort of a, the male's a lovely sort of lead grey colour with striping on the chest. And the female, uh, as is the case with most of our birds of prey, she's, she's browner and more streaked, and again, a bit larger. And they uh, aren't so affected by things like rat poisons because they feed on other birds. So what they do is they, they're very strong pursuit flyers. So they often fly low over the ground, trying to flush up small birds like meadow pipits, or maybe on a beach they go for a small wader like a dunlin, one of our smallest little mm. sandpipers. And they're, 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 they have stamina, so they'll, they'll chase them down for a prolonged period in, in the air flying quite level. So that's the, that's the merlin. And then the other one that's a resident breeding species in Ireland is one of the ultimate birds of all, and my, my, uh, probably my favourite bird, the peregrine falcon. Ah, yes. Uh, it's, 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 the, it's our largest resident falcon and it has the distinction of being the fastest animal on the planet. Uh, so often when I go to talk in schools, I say that the I, I say that, uh, that the peregrine falcon is the fastest animal on the planet, and kids always say to me, oh, "No, I thought the cheetah was the fastest animal on the planet." Well, the cheetah is the fastest at running, and cheetahs can run at speeds in excess of sixty kilometers an hour for a short distance on the ground, and that's that's really fast. That's far faster than any any uh, any human sprinter could get close to. However, peregrine falcons, what they do when they hunt, they fly up into the sky. 
then they go into this power dive. They flap downwards with their wings, put their heads down. Their body has evolved to be so aerodynamically shaped, they look like a jet fighter. Mm. Uh, and they plummet out of the sky at huge speed to go to their prey. And when in that dive, they can reach speeds in excess of 300 kilometers an hour. Wow. Five times faster than a cheetah. Mm. Um, so really impressive bird. Uh, men and female look similar. Um, the, the female, again, is much the larger of the two. They have a sort of dark hood on their face and a sort of a moustachial stripe coming down on their cheeks. And that's an adaptation to allow them to reduce glare, actually, when they're hunting. And they have, a, as I said, a real fighter pilot shaped body, sort of dark grey back and striping across the chest, sort of barring. So uh, a really impressive bird. When you talk about the three that are native to us here, and you mentioned the declining numbers of uh, the kestrel, overall then with the other two that you spoke about, the Merlin and the Peregrine Falcon, are you concerned? Well, well, there's always cause for concern because um, we do have a problem in, in Ireland and, and there's, n- there's no point in, in trying to avoid this, I suppose, where there is still, unfortunately, illegal persecution of birds of prey. So we have situations each year where peregrine falcons, through just pure ignorance or criminal reasons, they're shot and poisoned around their nests, which means, of course, in bird and we're very careful never to publicize where their nests are. Uh, and uh, so that's, that's a real problem for peregrines in particular. Uh, less so for merlins, uh, but merlins are harder to, uh, to study. They, they, they don't really come to contact with people so much because of the habitats and where they live. But they are affected by things like uh, conifer plantations in former bogland and so on. And they're very prone to disturbance when they're nesting. So uh, we can never be complacent about them. Now, having said that, peregrine falcons have been doing better than they have for a long time because back in the 1950s and 60s, we nearly lost them completely not just here in Ireland, but around the world, because the peregrine falcon is the most widely distributed bird on the whole planet as a species. It's found on all continents except Antarctica. So they have them in Australia and in Africa and all through the Americas and across Asia as well. And uh, they were affected by a chemical called DDT, which was a pesticide that was sprayed onto crops to, to kill insects that might damage mm. the crops. And what happened was small birds would eat those insects. And of course, some of that DDT would go into their systems. Then the peregrine falcons being at the top of the food chain, they would eat some of those small birds. And as pesticide residues, they'd build up inside the peregrine falcon. And it didn't seem to cause any harm to the bird until it came time for the female to lay her eggs. And the effect that the DDT in her body had was that it made the eggshells unnaturally thin. So they would either break while they were being laid or while they were being incubated, just you know, having the, the adult sit on them or move them around a bit, it would crack the eggshell. And this nearly wiped out the species around the whole planet. It would nearly went completely extinct. Thankfully, the threat was recognized in time. The DDT was outlawed in most parts of the world. And slowly but surely since then, peregrine falcon populations have been recovering. It's taken a long time, but they're, they're, they're doing well again, I'm pleased to say. Aren't human beings, I'm just thinking here, listening to you, Niall, the most destructive creature on this planet of all? Oh, oh without question. Mm. And uh, in this case, they, you know, it wasn't intended that uh, there'd yeah. be any effect on peregrine falcons, but it just shows how careful we need to be because we have all sort of knock-on effects on our environment uh, that we don't fully realise. And, you know, it, you know, sometimes when you hear people, you know, people talk about birds of prey like falcons and they think, uh, oh, but this is horrible, birds killing other birds and, and fighting with each other. This is, this is very unseemly or very unpleasant. Well, the fact is that we shouldn't forget that we're the biggest killer of all. Yeah. Um, through habitat destruction and climate change and pollution and uh, illegal hunting and so on, uh, we're the biggest, most destructive creature there's ever been on this planet. So we should bear that in mind too. Absolutely. Now, you, you've alluded to it there that they feed on various small creatures, small birds, etc. Et Does winter present a particular difficulty? 
Well, it certainly can do, yes, because anything that affects the populations of the prey species that these birds feed on will in turn affect them. Sometimes people think that um, birds of prey uh, and, and other predators at the top of the food chains, that they somehow affect the numbers of their prey species. In fact, the opposite is the case. They're very much dependent on healthy bird populations. So the converse of that is that when we see a thriving population of, of falcons and indeed other birds of prey like buzzards and owls and sparrowhawks in an area, that tells us actually that there's good biodiversity there supporting all the prey that they, they feed on. Otherwise, those birds wouldn't be present and wouldn't be able to survive there. But certainly if there's prolonged periods of cold weather, let's say with lots of snow and ice, let's take the kestrel for an example. So they're feeding on rats and mice. If everything is covered in snow, it's going to be very difficult for them mm. to find that prey. Or alternatively, they may be forced to try and hunt along the only places that are ice-free, which might be our roads. And of course, that makes them more likely to come into contact with traffic and then be killed that way. So that's a problem for them, certainly. Um, for birds like peregrines, they're uh, a bit more resilient than that because they feed on they feed on other birds and, and they're, they have quite a wide diet. Often they can find, uh, can find food. And sometimes what happens actually in cold weather, we're seeing peregrine falcons even moving into urban areas, where even they're nesting now on occasion too, because um, they have a source of pigeons there. Uh, they like to eat pigeons, they like to eat ducks and, and larger birds like that. And around urban areas, they can usually find those even in, in very bad weather. And peregrine falcons normally, in, in sort of a natural setting, they would nest on cliff faces. They tend to revolve around cliffs either along the coast or in inland quarries or sites like that. And as far as they're concerned, a city centre with a uh, with, uh, building ledges, ledges on, on, the, on the windowsills of tall buildings, that may as well be a cliff and there's lots of prey around. Um, so they will actually move into the cities. Uh, so that, that's what happens there. And for, for the Merlin, which you know, we, have a, we have a core population here in Ireland, but we do get this influx of migratory Merlins coming in from Iceland. We are their winter refuge. So they come here for the winter to exp- escape places further north where the weather is even worse than we have. So um, they, 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 they're, they're pretty adept at surviving as well. Are falcons at the top of the food chain? Are they vulnerable to any predators? Well, I wish any predator well uh, intercepting a peregrine at 300 kilometres per hour. Well, absolutely, yes. The peregrines themselves are, are, are usually pretty safe. They, they don't really have much to worry about. Obviously, at, at their nesting sites, uh, the chicks, when they, before they can fly, they're prone to maybe things like, uh, like pine martens or even cats if they can get there. But luckily, falcons tend to nest in pretty inaccessible places, so they're fairly safe from predators there. As strange as it may seem, the peregrine falcon itself can sometimes be a threat to kestrels and to merlins because they're smaller than it and they're other birds, just, just any other bird as far as a peregrine's concerned, so they will hunt those. But having said that, uh, they're fast flying themselves. They're pretty formidable. They're hard to, to catch. So it's easier for a peregrine falcon to go for a slower or less agile bird. So in general terms, they don't have too much to worry about in terms of predators, other, of course, than man, because we're, we're, we're the main predator, unfortunately, for many of these species. And that's, a, that's something that really has to change because it wasn't for us, uh, you know, that they, they'd be thriving. And the fact is that they have a key role to play in our ecosystem. These top level predators play a really important role in keeping populations of other birds healthy, because strange as this may seem and unpleasant as it may seem in human terms, they weed out the sick and the injured and present, prevent disease spreading. Uh, and they also reflect what's happening in the wider environment. So when we're studying hawks and falcons and owls, and we, as I said, we see a good concentration in an area, we know that there's good biodiversity there because otherwise the birds just wouldn't be present. Ella wants to know, and she's listening intently to what you're saying, and you have mentioned, of course, DDT, chemicals, yeah. uh, interference by human beings with their nest sites, you know, illegally. Is there anything else she wants to know that we can do, uh, listeners today, to help. 
Well, well, well certainly. So uh, there, there is certainly a problem in Ireland of underreporting of wildlife crime. So if anyone is aware of anybody who's killing birds of prey or boasting about doing this, and I'm sure there's some people listening today who will know what I'm talking about, we would urge people please to report this to the Gardaí and to the National Parks and Wildlife Service. That, that really is important. Other steps that we can take to protect them, and this can make have a big benefit, particularly for kestrels and for owls and, and buzzards as well, is to limit the use of rodenticides, of rat poisons. Uh, in many cases, actually, what's happened is that rat poisons had to be used because we've lost birds of prey from so many areas. They're a great natural rat and, and mouse control by themselves. So much better to encourage them to nest in your area. So putting up nest boxes for kestrels and from barn owls, that can be really effective. Uh, and reducing our use of chemicals, particularly the rat poisons, that can, that can really assist them. And of course, also allowing areas to uh, to grow wilder. We need to stop, um, you know, we need to stop being so overzealous, I suppose, in manicuring fields and parks and so on. We want there to be mice and shrews and creatures like that there. Uh, I understand people might not want mice around their homes, but certainly in fields and in parks, there's a, there's a place for them. They're there already, but we want, to, we want to encourage those so that what can happen then is that these birds have food to, to, to feed on. And of course, for the, the merlin and the peregrine to feed on other birds, uh, encouraging a healthy population of birds, it's all part and parcel of making sure that they're okay. Uh, you know, people sometimes think it's strange that someone from Birdwatch Ireland is advocating, you know, the, the benefits of one bird eating another, but that's nature. Those are natural systems. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. The, the, the falcons aren't killing the other birds through malice or through any kind of evil intent. It's just what they do in the same way that, uh, that a robin kills worms and a blue tit kills caterpillars. That's the way birds live. Um, so anything we can do to try and preserve those natural systems uh, would be really appreciated. Just before you go on an aside, Niall, but it's timely as well, just a quick word on our summer visitors. The Swifts are long gone. Swallows and the Martins are still hanging about, but gathering to go. Yes, that's the, we're in the time of transition now when the birds are, if they haven't migrated already, they're certainly starting to feed up and to get into migration mode. So as you said, our swifts have already gone. They're always the first uh, of our migrants to leave us for Africa and they usually leave us in, in August. So there may be one or two still knocking around the country, but usually by September, it's, the swifts are very, very few and far between. Uh, but we still have our, our swallows and our house martins at the moment and our sand martins indeed, three members of the swallow family. The house martins people may know as that bird that builds those mud nests under the eaves of a of a building mm. around your house maybe and swallows always nest inside a barn or a porch or a shed with, in, inside a structure and sand martins for what it's worth they nest inside uh, mo- tunnels in riverbanks and in sandbanks and they uh, may even still be nesting at the moment they're quite late nesters so it's not unusual to have swallows and martins still to have chicks in their nest well into September even in some cases if the weather is good even into early October uh, and then they leave so it's usually around the middle of September the first ones start to leave and it's a more gradual process with, with the swift with the swift it's almost like you know you click your fingers and they're all gone. With the swallows and the martins, it takes about a month for them all to gradually filter out and filter out of the country. And then, of course, they head to Africa and we won't be seeing them again until and sort of uh, until the late spring, really. That's when they'll come back to us again. Mm, and uh, the circle continues. I want to say today before you go, uh, wonderful publication, Wings. I got mine from Birdwatch Ireland and you have a w- brilliant article in the magazine, Nile this month. Congratulations on Falcons. And you can read there about the ones that visit us as well. I've just renewed my membership to Birdwatch Ireland I encourage you to join and support this wonderful organisation Niall as always thank you so much I've so enjoyed our conversation 
Oh, I've enjoyed it too, very much. Thank you indeed. Take care of yourself. That's Niall Hatch there from Birdwatch Ireland. What a fantastic man he is. But uh, uh, they're great people to get the publications, get the online stuff as well. And our birds, don't we just love them? The brightness and colour they bring to our lives, our back gardens when we're out and about in the wild. It's something else. We've got to protect them. We've got to do more. Really, that is the message. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Stay where you are. Hi, Jerry. Could you answer this question for me? Well, I can't answer this because I haven't been anywhere. I haven't been to a hotel. I haven't been anywhere else in Ireland. I haven't been abroad uh, since the pandemic uh, set in. But I'm sure the people listening today can answer this. A listener wants to know if you book into a hotel do you have to produce your vaccine certificate? Do you have to produce it? Anyone help me there on that? Have you been in a hotel recently? Can you go? You don't need to produce evidence of being vaccinated, do you? Don't you? Have you any experience of this? Where you asked? Where you not? Let me know if you can help that listener there. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. Welcome to Late Lunch if you're just joining us. Listening on your smart, even your smart speaker. Uh, on the app, yes, get the LMFM app. Download it. Make sure you have it on your smartphone and bring us with you wherever you go. And also, you can always listen to us. And now people are listening today online, lmfm.ie. Listen live. You can join us every afternoon there for late lunch. Now, following my conversation uh, with Niall Hatch, listen to this. Jerry, one of my cats was killed by one of those birds that came down on his back and broke all his ribs. I know what I'll do with them if I find them around my house again. Well, there's not a lot you can do with them. Imagine the falcon coming down at that speed. Will I tell you about your cat? And I'm sorry that it happened to your cat and you lost the cat as well. But you see, there's the laws of nature in this world of ours and they're cruel and nature is cruel and... It's the fittest survive and it's dog eat dog, so to say. And that's the way it works. You've got to understand this. I, I'll take, tell you a little story. I remember one day I was away for a walk with Messi, my lovely Labrador, and I arrived back to the house and round the side gate and in. And just as we arrived back, a bird of prey had just wham, hit the ground. And there were feathers everywhere. And off that bird went with the smaller bird in its talons away to eat it and feed something else. That's a bird, it can be a cat, it can be a, mu- a mouse, a rat, a creature like that. That's the way it works, folks. That is it. That is the way things work in this uh, world of ours. And there's no point in getting upset about it. And remember, all those creatures, etc., well, they're here a long time before you and me and our kind, as I said, that do nothing but seemingly create wars, kill one another, destroy the planet. You know what I'm talking about. Come on, we're human beings. We're only here for a short time. We're only caretakers of this place. By God, we're not taking great care of it, are we? We're not. Honestly, we really ain't. Anyway, that's the the law of the jungle, as they say, and the way it happens. Late lunch, LMFM radio. Still to come on the show. Yes, Stephen Barnes, the man with the Midas touch. Yes, we're going to hear about his life and times on the show shortly and more besides coming uh, before the end at 3.30 this afternoon. But let's step back a little. Ah, it's Leanne Rhymes. Can't fight the moonlight. You can't fight nature either. Remember that. Hello. 
My next guest on Late Lunch this afternoon has the Midas touch. I'll say boom, boom, and you'll understand why in a minute, because he is a businessman of renown. And the weekend just passed, he had a huge sale at his Midas Jewellers in the Long Walk Shopping Centre in Dundalk, and it was most successful. And he joins me today on Late Lunch. I'm going to do a little bit of a This Is Your Life with Stephen Byrne. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jerry. Nice to hear from you. Anyway, you were very happy with the weekend. I believe there were queues and you sold loads and all's good in the world. Absolutely. It was terrific. It was much more than we anticipated. And uh, when we came in early on the morning on, on Friday, there was a queue already formed. And uh, I was hoping that pennies would see it and be very jealous, you know. <laughs> if you make pennies jealous, well, I'll tell you, you've certainly made it. But Stephen, on a serious note, in the world of today, where a lot of shopping is done online, we've had a horrendous almost two years at this stage of lockdown. It just shows you, doesn't it? Doesn't it? People want to go out, touchy feely, see and buy. Well, I think it, it, it applies very much in, to the jewelry business, more so than other things. I mean, uh, in, in fairness. Uh, People, especially women, who are our main customer, I think something in the region of 80% are female. And uh, they don't want to, to buy a ring on, online and it to arrive in and say, oh, that's not what I, I wanted, you know, at all. Jewelry lends itself to the personal touch, to trying it on, to looking at it and saying, oh, yeah, that, I like that or I don't like that, you know. So... Um, I think that's something online, of course, has hit us. I mean, there's no getting away from that, but not as badly as perhaps we thought it might. The USP is still having long made that continue. You're in this business a long time. You opened on August 28, 1971. Not where you are today. Yes, on the corner of Francis Street and Earl Street. It was a premises owned by the late Neely McCann and managed by the late Phil Monaghan. And uh, it was for rent, and uh, I took a chance. I had no money, of course, but I went to the bank and borrowed and begged, and they were kind enough to come up with, uh, well, a few quid to start us off. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to reconcile money nowadays with at the time. You know, if you took in 20 quid, then you were laughing, you know. But uh, money has, you know, depreciated at such a rate that um, they're not really real figures. However, anyway, we got the money from the bank and we started off. And um, I won't say it has been totally successful all those years, but it has mainly been successful. We've had a few rough times as well. Park Street was your second port of call. You were there for 30, 37 years uh, before you moved yes. then to the Long Walk yes. where you are today. It, it, it was for sale at the time. And uh, once again, as I say, we had no money. Certainly had money to buy it. Uh, and uh, we it, it was Philip Gunn who was, was selling it for a chap from the north. And um, at the time, it was the mecca for shoppers in Dundalk. And uh, to get two doors from it, I thought it was worth plunging myself into debt, which I did. So it took a few years to pay that off, but it, it certainly was successful. And most successful you are and will be, please God, where you are today in the long walk. Look, but Stephen Burns, I, was, I said at the beginning there, this is your life. You're a man with many strings to your bow. Will you tell me, please, I'm going back a bit here, uh, about you performing, because you're big time into your amateur drama, for Princess Grace of Monaco? 
The drama has been great for me, and uh, my whole family were in it. My aunt Molly Bonner was uh, dying of the theatre here in Dundalk and had originally been in the professional theatre in Belfast. And in fact, the very first performance I was ever in was in a, a series called The McCooies, broadcasting Radio Ulster. And um, that's what I started off in. I, I'd say I, I was pretty awful playing an RUC. It was a, a part I was given. It was my first time on any stage, if you like. And this was a radio series that uh, was being broadcast on, on Radio Ulster. And I was only, I think at the time, 18 getting this part. So I certainly didn't look like the seasoned cop <laughs> that I should have, you know. But uh, of course, it wasn't visual. It was a radio. It was a radio play. But then... Um, I got involved in Dundalk with uh, Amateur Theatre, of course, and then uh, worked with Tommy Clark, who was um, a wonderful character. And uh, then uh, Matt Murphy and myself set up a theatre workshop, and uh, it was very successful. And we then entered various competitions, and one was uh, the Irish play of that year. And it was a play I'd written myself about Oscar Wilde, and it was chosen to represent Ireland in Monaco. So we went to Monaco, and uh, we were very pleased that Princess Grace came and sat on the very front row. I met her afterwards and got on very well with her, actually. And the sad part about this is that knowing that the festival was coming up the following year, etc., I said to her, would there be any chance you'd come and open the festival? And she said, when is it? And I said, you know, I told her about Maytime and all that. She said, well, look here, uh, I don't know, she said, what, what arrangements there are for the coming year. And if I can fit it in, I come. And uh, we were then performing in Finland two weeks later. We were in Finland when we heard the awful news that she had been killed. Oh my, what might have been, never what was. Have, really, been, really, really know? sad. She was a lovely person. I mean, lovely looking, of course, but lovely personality too. And we got on really well. We're both Frank Sinatra fans. And she picked out her favourite record. And she'd been on the BBC and Desert Island Discs a couple of weeks before that and had chosen these Sinatra songs. And uh, as I say, we got on very well. Um, but then what an awful tragedy. Then I, I was actually invited back to, to Monaco two years later and I met Princess Caroline this time and uh, Prince Rainier. So um can say that. There's a bit of name dropping here for the <laughs> celebrities. Well, why not? Indeed, it's all true. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was your love of flying. Is it true you went for an interview with Aer Lingus to become a commercial pilot? That's correct. That's when I when I came out of school, came out of did my leave and that and was, you know, bumming around for a while and not getting anywhere. But I really wanted to be a pilot and I went for the uh, the medical. Um, I'm deaf in my right ear from birth. But of course, I denied all that, that to the <laughs> medical examiner, said everything was fine. But they copped on and they had a soundproof box in which they put you in and closed off one ear and all the rest of it. And when I came out of it, he said, we played in the settling, in the settling drill and you didn't move. <laughs> so they knew I, I had, you know, that I had this deficiency. But so I was determined anyway. I knew I wasn't going to be a commercial pilot, but I was determined to, to do a, a private pilot's license because uh, the, the medical was less stringent. And anyway, you're wearing earphones, so you know you can hear everything from the good ear. So um, I, we had a flying club in Dundalk, um, and uh, they 
man who was the chief flying officer was a man called Ian Swales, a wonderful, wonderful character, one of the most memorable people I've met in my life. And he was ex-RAF, and uh, he taught me how to fly, and he was wonderful. And I was a very slow learner, but he encouraged me, and uh, it, it was um, something I, I really felt was the wisest decision I ever take to do that, you know. However, unfortunately now, flying has become unbelievably expensive. At the time, like it was something like 20 quid an hour to fly, now it's 200, you know, so... Um, it's not many people can afford it. You yes. really want to have a lot of money to, to fly. Yeah, it's beyond the range. Anyway, back on Earth, uh, some other aspects to your uh, long and fr- uh, productive life. Politics, you were chairman of Dundalk UDC for a time. Uh, when you reflect on those times, w- what are your abiding memories or your legacy? Oh, I don't know about a legacy. I was three times chairman, actually, of Dundalk um, Urban Council, um, I don't know. I I I hope I contributed in some small way to to the council. Uh, everything has changed, of course, since then. The the, the local councils were disbanded, and um, it's a whole new ball game now. But uh, I suppose we were all volunteers at the time. I mean, there was no there was no uh, fee for being on the council at all, and. Um, so we can honestly say that, you know, we did it for the love of it and we hoped that we could bring something, something you know, good to it. And uh, there were some memorable moments. We had a, a heritage year in 1989 and uh, we buried a capsule at the square, for example, for people in 2089 to have a look and see how we live then. That, that was... Um, Something that uh, memories like that that I have and people I met as a result of being in the council, you meet a lot of people, mainly ministers, government ministers, and that. But um, sometimes it didn't work out, and sometimes it did. You know, so that's politics for you. Do you bemoan the loss? I know the council is is still there for the whole county, and it is based in Dundalk. But do you think there's a loss uh, for not having, you know, a more local like Dundalk UDC, uh, Drogheda Corporation? R.D. Town Council, etc. Is that a loss, do you think? I I think it was a mistake, what they did. Um, I do think it is a loss, because um, it. I, I know you, it's sort of parish pump thing to say that you need a council everywhere, but maybe you do, maybe you don't. But uh, there was a much more um, easy access at the time, because it must be mm. very difficult for the present councillors to, to, you know, go from what one side of Drada to the Cooley Peninsula, you know, really, whereas people like who lived, taking Cooley as an example, people who lived there, they, I mean, they were part of the, the community mm. in, in every sense of the word. And uh, I, I think it w- was better like that, but I'm not going to change it for me anyway. No, no, me not. Me not <laughs> you say, either. Stephen, yes. <laughs> anyway, and on the yeah. sporting front, of course, you were chairman of Dundalk Football Club and they've just been enjoying one of the greatest eras in their history with American oh, yeah. Backing, um, you must have enjoyed, or you have enjoyed, the wonderful times. Oh, absolutely! I mean, I think there's no, nothing, there's never anything like the, the 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 Stephen Kenny era, I suppose you could call it. I mean, it was absolutely unique. I mean, the fact that Dundalk did so well, got into group stage in Europe. I mean, it was extraordinary. I mean, uh, not just, uh, of course, I think Stephen is wonderful, but not just Stephen. I mean, the team he amassed, uh, 
was was really great. It was the best team ever, in my opinion, in Dundalk. Maybe not individual players. There were better individual players over the years, but uh, certainly the Kenny era is, is unmatchable. When I was chairman, I, uh, my, if I have a legacy there, it's, I signed Sherlock O'Connor and convinced him to come and be the manager. And he was extremely successful. Won the double, in fact, you know. And uh, I had been there when Jim McLaughlin won the double as well, you know. So we we had great times throughout the years. I treasure it, and I, I, I'm I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity that that I was given that opportunity to to chair the, the football club and uh, to get people like Turlock O'Connor to to sign for us. He had been a wonderful player with us. He scored 99 goals when he was with us, you know. So. Uh, he was great. And uh, they've remained friends ever since. Well, Stephen, what a life and career you've enjoyed. You're sparkling still all these years later and continued yeah. success to you with Midas Jewellers and all you do in your lifetime going forward. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. And you too, Jerry. Thank you very much for the call. Question from one of our listeners about booking a hotel and requiring a vaccination certificate. Uh, our other listeners, thank you so much indeed, Believe no, you won't be uh, checked for the cert. Selena's been on to say, Hi, Jerry. No, we stayed in the Maldron Hotel in Port Leash over the August Bank holiday weekend and we didn't have to show, show the cert. Brian was away as well and he said, No, no cert required. And so on they go. That is the general consensus coming to us on late lunch this afternoon. Not sure about the situation abroad when you go, Well, of course, you need to have your cert for flying and then be tested, etc., etc. Um, and, um, there's talk that when you do go away now outside the country and that that you know there will be places that will demand that you are vaccinated and have proof of it as well but that's an evolving situation and we're going to see how uh, that pans out I'm sure over the coming weeks and months but certainly still a way to go despite uh, Ireland getting back to uh, a sense of normality now I haven't heard from her in, in ages our Brian Brian Farley is with me today again reminding me God you haven't played Kylie on the show in a while and you know come to think of it I haven't so look he's um selected one today this is brian farley's pick for you and i want to dedicate it to all late lunch listeners who join us every single day yes it's kylie and jason 1988 32 years ago oh my god I hope you're all swaying from side to side. Me sent Brian in here. We haven't stopped since the song played and we're just finishing up now. Can you just picture the heads of the two of us in here? Anyway, bringing us back. Released on the 28th of November, 1988. 32 years ago, as I said, and I dedicate that, especially to all of you listening to us on Late Lunch this afternoon. Here's an interesting thing about that song, which might surprise you. Yes, it went to number one in the UK. It went to number one in Ireland. The pair of them are Aussies and it never made number one in Australia. Isn't that a strange thing? And yet Kylie had a great record as she issued her singles one after the other. They all hit number one. But that duet, 
never made it to number one in their home country, Australia. It just shows you there. And I mean, they got back together a couple of times, haven't they? And performed it since. There you go. And Kylie, by God, she's still going strong. And I'm sure she's working away on the next album and the next incarnation of herself. There's another thing for you. We were talking about Birds of Prey and helping them a little earlier on the show. Did you see that that a third of all trees on this planet that we live in it's another strand of this destruction of the environment and planet earth one third of all trees are facing extinction and that includes native trees here in ireland as well and all over the place and she know what's going on in the amazon i don't have to remind you about the destruction that's going on there wanton destruction and the implications of that but this is a really concerning statistic and you know we've spoken on the show many times over the years with the tree council with Aina Lelauna who's wonderful advocate of planting trees and taking care of them and native trees especially but We've got to keep doing as much as we can, planting and putting in more. One third will be gone. If you think about that, that's just... What will that mean for future generations? Well, I won't be around and many others to see it, but it could be torrid times for successive generations to come on this uh, wee globe of ours spinning out there in the middle of God knows what, how vast is the whole place, the universe. Anyway, on the theme, uh, we're staying a little on that theme about sustainability and that, and as you know, bees are crucial to it. Well, listen to this. There, you can now get a qualification in beekeeping that is formalised. It's a QQI qualification. And Tom Shaw, my favourite beekeeper of all time, is joining me after three o'clock. He's been through the mill himself. He's going to tell us all about it. And of course, I'm coming back to my artists of the week oasis. I'll tell you this, the more I read about them and learn about them and tell you about them, how did they ever ever, ever achieve the success they did with all that was going on behind the scenes. My God, it was a fractious relationship between the Gallagher's, wasn't it? Anyway, that all coming on Late Lunch After Three after we hear the latest news, weather and sport. I'd just like to remind you of a very worthy fundraiser. Little Amelia Donnelly, she's seven years of age and she's living with a rare genetic brain disease. And we spoke to our mam here on Late Lunch a wee while ago and the family are receiving great support all round to help, you know, support Amelia at this very difficult time. And the response has been wonderful. And two guys on their crew, yes, they're great, Huey Rooney and Jerry Healy from Boyne German Shepherd Club. Yes, the Boyne German Shepherd Club. They have a lovely new premises here beside us, our training facility on uh, Marley's Lane. Well, they've organised a walk on Sunday week. That's the 12th of September, All for Amelia, supporting uh, the campaign All for Amelia from Marley's Lane, their training grounds here in the early afternoon, to Amelia's house in Brookville. And uh, you'll see them on the way with all their dogs and they'll have buckets with them they'll be collecting. And if you see them and meet them, throw a few bob in, it'll all count. And they're going down to greet and meet Amelia and her family. She wants to see the dogs and as many as possible. And the boys have organised this. That's Sunday week, the 12th of September, all for Amelia. Boyne German Shepherd Club doing their bit. Well done to them and we wish them well. Now, time for my Artist of the Week on Late Lunch. Oasis this week. Well, the mayhem continued into the noughties with Noel and other band members involved in a serious car crash in the United States in the summer of 2002. It led to the cancellation of many shows on that tour and they were injured and it was a total mess, the whole thing. And then later in the year, following a violent brawl in a Munich nightclub, Liam lost teeth 
had taken cocaine and assaulted a police officer. He just about avoided jail, but it cost him £40,000 ultimately. Yet they somehow survived this constant friction and conflict to release a sixth album, headlined Glastonbury for a second time, and were named by NME as the band of the year in 2009. And, of course, they continued to pack out gigs and venues wherever they performed. That album, uh, Don't Believe the Truth, was a cracker which gave Oasis a brand new lease of life and their final album, which would be number seven, Dig Out Your Soul, also went down really well. But in August 2009, the conflict between Noel and Liam finally came to a head with Noel quitting, saying, and I quote him, with some sadness and great relief, I leave Oasis forever. Sadly, the boys have barely spoken since that parting of ways. Now today I'm going back to August 8, 1994 and the song from the album Definitely Maybe that the Gallagher's themselves should consider now. Yes, none of us, none of us folks, we know this anyway, will live forever. Maybe Oasis, live forever. Remember that, boys? You better get talking quick. You won't be living forever. I'll draw the curtain on my Oasis week round about this time on Late Lunch tomorrow afternoon. Final break of the day on the way and afterwards, Tom Shaw, haven't talked to him for a while, legendary beekeeper. He wants to tell you about an educational qualification now can be had if you decide to take on a course to become a beekeeper. He's my favourite beekeeper in the whole world and it's been too long since we spoke. Tom Shaw, hello again. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good and I'm delighted you're with me this afternoon. Now, let's get the business out of the way first because there's big, big news on the beekeeping front. You're going all legit. Yes, well, this is the first in the... County Loud Beekeepers Association, and is also the first in the North East. Mm. That we're now running a further education course, QQI Level 5, Beekeeping for Beginners. And so, Jerry, for anyone who wishes to take up beekeeping, who have had bees for a couple of years and would like to benefit from a refresher course, or people who would like to, who have bees and would like to earn a formal qualification, the course is there for them. And you have it starts next Monday the thirteenth mm. at half six, and the thing is register online first. Not don't leave it till the night. Okay, and it's happening at Drogheda Institute of Further Education, Diffie, a fine place indeed. That's where it's happening, folks. And it's for 12 weeks, starting on the 13th of September, 6.30 on Monday evenings. Tom, you must be delighted with this, because the beekeepers yourselves, I started with you, you've run your own for years and years. But to get now the QQI Level 5 educational stamp, it just lifts it to another level, doesn't it? Oh, it most definitely does. And anyone who does that course will greatly benefit because it's structured to give in-depth knowledge. And they're qualified teachers, mm. which, of course, we are not as beekeepers. And it's a superior course. 
Okay, so look, there's a lot of kudos, folks, behind this. So if you're thinking of bees and it's a great hobby, if you've had them and gone out of them and are thinking of coming back into them, or if you're accomplished, here's your chance to get that certificate 12 weeks, 13th of the 9th, Monday, starting from 6.30 at Diffie. And it'll cover the lot, Tom, like you did yourselves, preparing honey, swarm management, wax, making mead. we got to mention making mead, Tom. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, well, it'll also cover in rearing queens. All the whole gambit will be covered. Yes. In depth. And you'll have your notes after the course. You'll have the training material. And so you'll have a good reference to update you when the course is finished. Yes, and you can register online, loudnightclasses.ie. That's loudnightclasses.ie. Or further information, you can email School at lmetb.ie. Or contact Diffie directly. They'll tell you more about it. Oh, I think there's going to be a lovely uptake in this. Honestly, it's a, it's a fantastic course. And well done to all concerned, Tom, for moving it on to this uh, new level indeed. Um, Tom... Yeah, you've been through the the mill. I've been through the mill, Jerry. Yes, mm. I it started the twenty eighth of August last year. And what happened to you? Well, I had prostate cancer with, and only found because I do a regular health check, mm. and I had no signs, no symptoms, nothing. Mm. But yearly, I would have a check, and there it was. Fortunately, it was caught in time. And I had a course of radium treatment. And so I'm fine now. It took a year, though, to get over the whole thing. Mm. Oh, listen. Oh, my God, you have had it tough. And in the middle of this COVID thing and everything going on at the same time, what about the bees in your back garden? You obviously had to leave them aside. Did somebody step into the breach to give you a deal? Oh, yeah. My beekeeping friends are just enormous. They just took over everything because I wasn't physically fit to lift anything. Mm. Your energy just disappears. You you have no enthusiasm, but you don't have the energy. Mm. And I would say to any man to make sure they get themselves checked regularly so as to catch it in time if they're inflicted with prostate cancer. Mm. And as you say, no signs, no symptoms, nothing. Nothing. Not for me, there was nothing. Yeah. So it's important to have that regular check, gentlemen. And I speak to myself here. I do get it checked when I get my bloods done and that as well. But it is, is so important. So you feel, are you feeling you're emerging from this now? Like the bees in springtime? Yes. (laughs) Well, my energy has come back and the place has been elected for a year. Mm. And, I mean, friends are fantastic, but there's things you have to do yourself. Mm. And so they get all neglected and you get into a muddle and all sorts. But I'm back from it now and it's just like a bad dream. Mm. Yeah, and it's great to hear you. And, and I'm delighted you're joining us today and with the good news as well. What about, I know you've been in touch with it and you say your friends, they're great people, such a community the beekeepers are. Uh, the year, obviously, with the, the we had a hell of a spell of weather, then a little bit of dampness and a great spell at the minute, Tom. Good year for the bees overall? It was a great year for bees. It was very late starting. It was mid-June before beekeeping, like April and May, which are which is the weather warms up and the bees get active and everything. But it didn't happen until about mid-June it took off. And one beekeeper, a beginner, got four supers 
of honey this year. Terrific. Oh, my God, that's a, a lot of honey uh, weight-wise. But I'm going to tell you, folks, see this man, Tom Shaw. When I was keeping the bees, I had the machine for spinning out the, the frames with the honey in it. Then you yeah. had to strain it and uh, jar it and do all this. Oh, Tom Shaw has it for sauced. Honeycomb for you, Tom. That's it. It takes all the work out of it, <laughs> for me anyway. And that's what it's all about, is to enjoy the hobby, not to endure it. Yeah. <laughs> wise words from a wise man, and you can't beat the honey in the comb either. It's absolutely gorgeous. Anyway, you're on the mend, you're on the way back, and you're with me today to remind listeners again that County Loud Bee Kippers Association, in association with the Loudmead Education Training Board and Diffie and Drogheda, have a brand new 12-week course starting on the 13th of September, 12 weeks, 6.30 each Monday and you will have a qualification at the end and you'll know all about the bees and the way you go. Tom, God bless you. Health and happiness. Thank you, Jerry, and same to you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Tom Shaw, what a lovely, lovely man that man is. He really is one of life's gentlemen and I'm delighted He's on the road to recovery. Anyway, I recommend it. Beekeeping, if you're thinking of a hobby, if you have time in your hands, especially if you're later in your life, if you've never tried it before, you need time at it. I say that to you, but it's simply marvellous. And when you get that first taste of honey from your hive, there is simply nothing like it in the world. Anyway, that's almost our lot on late lunch this afternoon. Eddie Caffrey's round to go with the drive. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. More wonderful music and more besides coming your way with Eddie over the next couple of hours. Reminding you, tomorrow on late lunch, I am in conversation. Look at, can you hear the smile on my face? Can you see it? You can't see it, you can hear it. With Leo Sayre. Leo Sayre is with me on late lunch tomorrow afternoon. Shauna Ennis will be here. The Mead Ladies captain ahead of the big final in Crow Park on Sunday. Laura Nolan. Yes, you know her from the dancing ballroom dancer and choreographer. Well, she's taking part in Ultimate Hell Week. Is she mad? Laura's with us on the show tomorrow. We're continuing our focus on sport, this time with our own David Sheehan. And of course, I will have... Your riddle on Friday. Can you solve it? Yes, you can. Have a lovely Thursday evening. Thanks to Brian Farley again for guiding me today. We'll see you for the final late lunch of the week tomorrow, Friday, 1.30. See you then. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Trotta, Dundalk and Cavan. Let Blackstone Motors find the perfect car for you. With over 300 cars to choose from, we have the biggest selection of pre-owned cars in Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie for more details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.